Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello, Jack is back. And not only am I back, I'm in Belgium of all places. What are you doing in Belgium, Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked. I am here looking for the only member of the cod family to live in fresh water, and that's the burbot, Lotta Lotta. Now, you might not have heard a Lotta, see what I did there? You might not have heard a lot of this fish before, but we did have them in the UK. Unfortunately, we don't anymore, and that's why I've come to Belgium, because they have a reintroduction programme. Later on in the podcast, I'm going to talk to one of the people who works here, organises all the reintroductions, and why theirs has been a success. I'm also going to be talking to several other Berber experts. We're going to get proper nerdy in this one, talking all about this weird, and in my opinion, beautiful-looking fish. Stay tuned. Now, my first guest is Johan Ulrichs. Apologies for butchering your surname, Johan. Now, he very kindly invited me out to go and see the breeding programme and some Berber, which was absolutely incredible. I drove over to Brussels, stayed there for a couple of nights, and was amazing to see these fish in the flesh. I also made a short film, which is basically a distilled version of this podcast, and there's a link to that in the description also. Now, Johan has been trying to reintroduce Berber into Belgium. So far, they've released quite a few, and Belgium is basically a bigger version of Norfolk. It's flat, there's farmland, the rivers are slow moving, it's a perfect match, including the climate, which is very similar. So if Berbert can be successful in Belgium, there's no reason why we couldn't have them in the UK. So here's our chat. Hi, uh, my name is Johan Owerks. I work for the Institute for Nature and uh, Forest Conservation in Belgium. And for the moment we are in Linkebeek, uh, the fish farm of Linkebeek, where we have the Berbert. Lots of burbot. <laughs> Lots of burbot. Uh, I think at the moment we have about 1.5 million. Of course, tiny, wow. <laughs> of course, these are tiny, small larvae, but uh, we have a lot of them. And we're stood. Well, we're currently stood by the pond where the big ones are, aren't we? Yeah. So we have a special pond for the broodstock of burbot, very protected, where there's a lot of uh, natural food inside the pond, because burbot they like to eat small fish. And yeah, we have to provide plenty of small fish to have them in a good condition. Yeah, nice and hungry. So obviously the UK, we don't have Berber anymore, but here in Belgium, you've successfully reintroduced them. Well, you, you can tell me more, but like, what do you think was the, the reason for the success of, of Berber in, in Belgium? Or is it, is it too early days for that? It's a bit early days. Okay. Um, we have now uh, a, re- a natural reproduction of our released burbot and that's a, of course a very important step so that the circle is closed yeah uh, so you release uh, young of the year uh, burbots in a river you see them growing you see them surviving finally you have a, a wild broodstock somewhere and you see them reproducing and you see uh, the year after once again uh, juveniles so it's very nice to have this circle closed but still it's a very low density and we don't know yet if it's a self-sustaining population. Right, so how easy are they to captive breed then? Uh, once you know the technique, it's not that difficult. Oh, uh, yeah, it's quite easy. 
once you know it, everything is easy. <laughs> uh, a good Belgian beer cooler, you can breed burbots. <laughs> That's the key to success. That's the key to success. <laughs> because I suppose Belgium is similar, I guess, to lots of places where burbot were in the UK, like in Norfolk and, and areas like that were kind of flat and... Um, slow-moving rivers and whatnot, and that's where they're found in Belgium, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah. I, th- I think you can compare those areas. Yeah. That's no problem. And why are Berber important to the, the wider environment? Because I guess a lot of people go, well, why bother? Why bother reintroducing Berber? So why should we, you know, why should we do it? Well, you have a couple of top predatory fish in uh, the rivers. Pike is the typical top predator from stagnated waters. Brown trout is the... Uh, predator from fast-running rivers and burbot is in between. It's a typical top predator of the lowland rivers. And you need a top predator to have a good ecosystem. Uh, burbot is known to eat a lot of exotic species, so it's nice to have this fish that it controls the exotic uh, species like topmouth gurchin uh, or... Um, Signal crayfish? Uh, also, yeah. some someone publish something on I know this. you get um, I don't think we've got them in the UK but you get invasive freshwater blennies here don't you yeah and they the berber eat those don't they they, they also like yeah. them yeah 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 they eat almost everything so if you have some exotic species that's quite dominant you can control it by berber so you need this this fish in right. the UK yeah <laughs> yes we yeah yeah just add that in Johan that's great <laughs> That was Johan. Amazing guy. Thank you so much for letting me go out there and see those incredible fish. Well, my next guest is Ian Welby, and he is a fishery scientist. And Ian has got history with the Berbert because around 2006-2007, he was part of a feasibility team to see if Berbert could be introduced to the UK. Is our water good enough? Is our climate good enough? And Ian was studying this. Now, I met Ian, this is about 15 years ago now, because I was applying to go on that course. Life had other plans for me and I ended up filming fish instead of studying them. But it brought us back together because of our interest in Burbot. So I went down to Ian's house, he only lives 20 minutes from me. We sat in his conservatory on a rainy March day and had a good old waffle about Burbot and if they could indeed live in the UK now. So welcome to the podcast, Ian. Thank you, Jack. Nice to be here. Yeah. to talk about Berber. Exactly. Who wouldn't want to talk about Berber? And we are currently sat in your conservatory on a rainy March day. Uh, Perfect for Berber, I suppose. Nice and and wet. So, well, let's start with it. So you were part of the team that tried to study the feasibility of Berber reintroduction. I think it was before 2007. I met you in 2007. Yes. Yes. I think we took 2005. I think we we started it all off. It really all started with... um, uh, a chap called Keith Easton, who yeah. I know you know, fantastic fisheries biologist, and he came to one of our one-day seminars that we held at Brooksby, gave a talk about Berber, and allayed some of the myths that I'd always bought into, um, particularly the they have to spawn under ice and it's too warm in, yeah. in the UK now. Yeah. And Keith, being Keith, just put those myths to bed, and I and it really was a light bulb moment to me. Yeah, they people have always said this. Um, I hadn't questioned it and actually when you question it they went they went extinct during one of the coldest few decades on history in the UK um, you know, there, there was ice all the way along the River Great Ooze through the 50s and 60s and people were skating on the Thames again 
in Oxford. I suppose enough uh, people write it in a book over the years, you just you just don't question it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not wishing to speak of the dead, ill of the dead, but a black called Alan Wheeler was was largely responsible because he put it in his textbook of fish, and oh. it, that became Goldstein textbook. And I don't think he meant it particularly. It was just that was the received wisdom at the time. Yeah. And they'd been in decline for for probably half a century before they went extinct. They were never particularly important species for anybody. Nobody particularly loved them uh, for any particular reason. Um, they weren't uh, favoured in the UK or anything. So um, they were allowed to quietly go extinct. Uh, and that was the rumour that was part of it. So. Uh, that inspired me and I thought they were a good hook excuse the pun for um, something I firmly believe in which is that we should be much more interested in fish yeah definitely for them for of themselves rather than fisheries or anglers or the aquatic environment fish are a mainstay of our environment they're really important and a whole variety of bits of ecology well, I suppose the interesting thing with Berber is that we lost them in living memory. There'll be people Absolutely. sat in their care homes right now yeah, yeah. who may very well have caught a Berber. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not like beavers or lynx, which yeah. were gone hundreds of years ago. This is an animal we've lost in a generation. Absolutely. It really surprised me how many of my students at the time, because I was working at Brooksby, um, lived down around the areas, would say, yeah, my grandpa used to catch them on the trend all the time. Uh, you know, they were... Uh, and that was another surprise, another thing. I always had assumed that they were relatively uncommon, that they weren't a particularly common species and therefore not particularly important, and that's one of the reasons they were allowed. And that was very wrong as well. They were common. Wow. They were uh, plentiful. They were a big part of the ecology of a whole variety of rivers. And when you go back through the history books, and I've got quite a lot of old books, old textbooks on fish, um, back to sort of the 1600s. Berber are mentioned as a normal part of the ecology. They're not special, they're not no, taken... it's just like roach, yeah, yeah, perch, absolutely. Berber, yeah. you know. Um, and so they were, they were quite common. They were restricted in their presence. They were only on the East Coast rivers. So um, am, I, am I right in thinking, is it as far north as South Yorkshire? Or yeah. any further than about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, Yorkshire, the Yorkshire Ooze the Derwent, um, a few of those rivers, yeah. And then yeah. down to, I think, is it, they weren't in the Thames catchment, were they? So no, it was, they don't appear to have been in the Thames, so kind of everything above the Thames catchment, okay. essentially. Right, okay. To, to so relatively limited then, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, but that's a common limitation, if you like, for, for British freshwater fish. Yeah. In some of them, East Coast rivers. Silver bream and, and things some, like yeah, that. And some of them, are, uh, we've, we've obviously spread them to Barbola, much more common now than they used to be, because... People have moved them around. We like to catch them. We like to catch them. People are people think they're important, so people move them about. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're they're widespread in the seven, but I think they were introduced into the seven, for example. And of course, we we met through that because when you were, so what was your role on the course? Were you the head lecturer or just? Oh, uh, you're a course tutor. You're a course tutor because I so when I was sixteen, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, <laughs> I applied for that course. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd never seen a Xander or an eel before, so that was amazing. I think you kind of said, oh, look in this tub, and you pulled out this female, I think it was a female berber, and yeah. I vividly remember the water dripping off its beard, and it had all this kind of patterning and sprats yeah. of yellow. And at the time, I didn't think it was significant. Obviously, in the years <laughs> since, I was like, Jesus, I'm, I must be one <coughs> of the... Have seen one of them? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the few British people that's seen a berber in mm. Britain. There can't be many people that said that. And um, obviously... You know, my life went another way, and I ended up yeah. 
fiddling around with cameras, which I quite quite like. But that was a, a while ago. But for lack of a better terminology, then what what went wrong with the feasibility when we had all these Berber in the UK? Because I think a lot of people think that you were trying to reintroduce them, yes, but that wasn't yeah, yeah. quite what no, you were no, doing. No, uh, no, no. We we set up a group. Um, well, uh, I, I got enthusiastic. Keith obviously was has always been enthusiastic. Um, his, uh, was a lifelong project of his um, to to uh, to look at feasibility of it, reintroducing Berber, and that was the purpose of our project. So, we, main strand for Brooksby was to show that we could artificially spawn them, uh, hatch eggs, and get the eggs to first feed under temperature regimes current in the UK. Okay. So, what we did was we installed them in a in a um, a shack on Brooksby's ground. It was all temperature controlled, so we had big beer chillers to keep the water cold and uh, an air conditioning unit on it. And we we set that against the trend. So if it was five degrees in the trend any one day, our water was five degrees. And then come February, uh, we artificially spawned them. We hatched probably a couple of thousand eggs. Um, and probably took a couple of hundred of those hatchlings through to first feed. So in um, theory, if those burbot were in the trend, they, they would have yeah, spawned. Yeah. The, so it was essentially a very finger-in-the-air way of, yeah. of showing that the temperature regimes in the UK weren't what sent the burbot extinct. No. It wasn't anything to do with the temperature. During, that, during the time they went extinct, Salmon went extinct on the East Coast rivers. Trout pretty much went extinct. This this is the period of time when you could tell what the what what was going on on the trend by how badly it was steaming in any one day because <laughs> there was a lot of rubbish going into it. So it's not surprising, given the condition of the rivers during that during that sort of century, yeah, uh, that these things went extinct because a lot of other species went extinct from those rivers, but they could recolonise from other parts of the UK and Burbank. So that was our purpose, uh, and I think we were reasonably successful with it. We, as part of the import, we had to promise to do various things, uh, which we did, and the fish were never to be reintroduced. That was never the plan, even the offspring. That was never the plan. It's part of the just the a feasibility import, study, really. Just a feasibility yeah. study, and we're quite happy with that. There's no. Uh, we were all biologists, and so we are still all biologists, but, um, and we understand the risks of willfully dumb in reintroductions there's nothing worse in fact than a, than a than a stupid reintroduction we wanted to make sure that a reintroduction was right for the conditions that the fish species was likely to thrive and all the rest of it and also that there was no risk of us bringing in any other invasive non-native species and that we were bringing the right burbot back that was also very important I didn't realise how variable they were. So talking to the guys in Belgium, they were saying they're a bit like brown trout yeah. in that there's so many different niches and types and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And again, people just call them all. I think there's an argument that some of them may be subspecies or, or even. Yeah, there's always know. arguments. About yeah, them. yeah. Of essentially, they're, they're all the same species. Yeah. But they have a holy arctic. They call it all the way around the the the, the top of the planet. Yeah. You'll find them. So North America, Canada, Alaska, Siberia, all those sort of areas. You all find them because they've been geographically isolated for, for millennia, there are differences between a burbot you'll find in Finland and a burbot you'll find in Canada. 
fairly obviously. Yeah. But they're the same species. If you got them together, they would get on fine. (laughs) (laughs) What is one way of putting it? Yeah. But if we wanted to reintroduce the fish into the UK, we wanted to be certain that they were as genetically similar to the ones we've lost. Yeah, that makes sense. So part of the project was uh, a chap um, called uh, uh, Dr. Worthington looked at the genetics of our lost species and the lot and the genetics of of the, the distribution. So he went round all the old um, sort of Natural History Museum and various. Yeah, there's old one in Woodlands, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And fin clip them. Just took a little fin clip off the off the dried out um, animal because it's the they're the, the taxidermied animals uh, and did genetics on them. So he discovered that the various gla- they call them glades these subspecies that, that but they're glades they're just genetically different and our genetic uh, forebears actually are more Finnish than Denmark and strangely oh, yeah. that the, the European has two or three glades right and they're quite close to each other um, so uh, that was that was an important part of the um, project and the other part this was all done at um, at Portsmouth University was uh, Southampton sorry Southampton University was looking at feasibility so looking at where you found them commonly in places like Denmark and Finland and Germany and typing that against um, what we have currently in the UK yeah so are the conditions that they're found on the continent available in the UK that makes and again sense. that was that was fairly conclusive that yes yeah uh, that makes sense so the project in the end that showed yes that, that we could produce viable offspring in the temperature regimes in the UK we could find genetically similar if not identical species to reintroduce and that reintroduction habitat was available yeah throughout the catchment so and that's where we that's that was the end of that was our the end. project that was, and that hopefully. was what our project uh, and people seem to think it, it petered out and, and failed actually the projects as we set them out were 100% successful yeah it's just no one picked it up so one of the things that a lot of people have been messaging when I've been posting pictures of Burbank yeah. is about the state of rivers now because obviously you know raw sewage pumping into them and, and, and all that sort of stuff and water quality how would that affect Burbot? Like, are our rivers still clean enough for Burbot to go in, or is that an unknown quantity? Uh, uh, my personal view is that uh, whilst it's terrible and it is part of the duty of the water companies to treat the sewage before they put in, and which they start. Um, actually, if you look at what the rivers were like in the forties and fifties, where uh, you know, the trend is light years. In front of what it was in that time, yeah, and uh, is is clean for fish. We have a problem with how we treat our water courses, and sewage treatment is one of those. Yeah, water resources. The amount of water we abstract is probably a bigger uh, issue. Um, but certainly, have they haven't changed since the feasibility in you know two thousand seven, right. two thousand eight, when it was published, which showed that the water courses that um, that were studied. Were, uh, were good good enough contained other species that would like brown trout you know we still have plenty of brown trout brown trout are probably slightly more sensitive than berber 
Oh, so a good indicator is if you've got brown trout, there's a good chance burbot would yeah. would probably be fine in there. So it's a case that obviously water quality could do with being better, but it is su- sufficient for burbot yeah. at the minute. And if you compare it to the 40s, it is better than what was essentially. Oh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And um, perhaps that perhaps that's one of the the, the things that we can do with the, uh, any proposed reintroduction of burbot is have a clean river fund for it and give that as this is this is the iconic species that we want to protect and that's why we need to spend a bit more money on yeah sewage treatment uh, and stuff it's a very complicated issue the whole issue of yeah rivers. i suppose also whenever you're trying to reintroduce a top predator people always get a little bit finicky uh, it, as well it, it, i suspect that would be one of the big complaints is oh there's enough predators in the out but uh, it's not a often those same people don't moan about xander though Quite they like don't. It. Well, some people moan about <laughs> some that, do, though. but some, and some people moan about pike. You know, um, as with all things, nobody we couldn't keep everybody happy with the reintroduction, no. like like the burbot. And uh, I suppose yes, it's very difficult under those circumstances because people don't like the reintroduction of the otter. Well, actually, it wasn't a reintroduction. They, they never colonised from other parts of the UK. Yeah. Yeah. It's a myth that the, the, the reintroduction, there were two two sets of, uh, and, and they're a perfect example of why I don't particularly like reintroduction programs, because they don't work. And the otter's a perfect example. The reintroduction programs were done by fools who <laughs> didn't know what they were doing, producing hand-reared animals that could never survive appropriately in the wild. And where they were reintroduced, there are problems. But the rest were natural recolonisation from from uh, satellite sites that were um, still there were they were still in Wales. Uh, I grew up in Devon, uh, and we had otters on our trout farm. Uh, well, way back in the eighties, common. So the reintroduction failed, but we still got otters. Yeah, <laughs> they came back. If we were to reintroduce the Berber, we would start way way down the line. There wouldn't be we we would be seeding eggs so that the, the fry had to survive the whole yeah. thing rather than seeding uh, adults which are bred to be in a tank sort yeah, of thing because they're not going to know how to <coughs> survive in you anything. essentially have to train your animal not to not to think it's anything other than a wild animal yeah um, which uh, makes which makes sense and we've I think you've already covered a couple of these already but let's let's dismill yeah, yeah. some burbot myths yeah because uh, I've never known a fish with so much myth- misinformation <laughs> than the bloody burbot so you touched on it at the beginning but ice spawning so yeah. burbot don't need to spawn they can spawn under ice but they don't need to no absolutely I, it's, a, it's an old joke which which you have to work on to get is is that they would be the only species that uh, had to have a headache before it uh, could spawn <laughs> Yes, it's a, it's an entire myth. The the, uh, the they're complicated spawning rituals, and they have tiny little eggs. They are very very small. Anybody who has buys Mark Everard's book. Uh, there's a burbot egg on the front of that, and that is for an egg for a fish egg is very small, um, the same size as a colleague. So and they float. So the, the whole the, the circle in the middle of that picture is is a is an air hole. Uh, so they they're slightly buoyant, so they tend to spawn at the top of top of catchments and the eggs float down preferably going out onto sort of flood plains where they hatch and then um, hatching in the spring when uh, there's lots of food available and so on the subject of flood plains then as well so that's their preferred habitat but not yeah. necessarily an absolute like they can still spawn in the river can they 
Yeah, yeah, and they spawn very successfully in some lakes um, okay. and some um, feeder streams to lakes and things. Yeah, they're quite a resilient species, surprisingly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, ironically, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, except in the UK, they've survived everywhere else. Yeah, uh, and in fact, thrive very well. Um, but they are a cold water species, it's true. Uh, but the, the the idea that they need to spawn under ice is, is obviously a myth. Yes. You know, that would that would put them out of every you, you go a number of years in every decade they yeah. wouldn't be able to spawn because the ice doesn't form no like no and that kind of brings on to the next point is the the temperature that they can handle because a lot of people will talk about the summers in the uk which as far as i'm aware isn't as big a problem as you think we worried about that a lot at brooksby because they were inside a shed um and in the summer it got bloody hot yeah <laughs> apologies um no we, we can swear on this yeah, don't worry bloody yeah. is very tame for this podcast um <laughs> And so we had beer chillers and various things, and the water temperatures got up to 26, 27. And they didn't like it, but uh, they were survived fine. Wow, I didn't uh, know they got that yeah, uh, yeah. that warm. And upper lethal limit temperature-wise is very important fish. They don't like strange temperature regimes. But I think uh, if you burbot, we'd probably have a similar temperature tolerance to pike, for example. And pike do fine. I worry about pike fishing in the summer when mm. people are handling them in the summer. I think that's probably a bad idea. Well, no, it's not probably a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. You will kill fish if you angle for pike when the water temperatures are over 21, 22. And the same will be true for burbot. But if you leave them alone and they can relax, chill out in their in their pool deep in the, deep down in the river with burbot in a small hole and they just sit there, they'll ride it out, no problem. So I guess that's the point in the summer. They'll, if they're in a lake or in a river or whatever, they'll just go down deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lakes aren't really an issue because it's always cold at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. So they'll never have an issue on lakes, but in uh, in rivers, yeah, there's, there'll still be areas where they can get on fine. Uh, and they're pretty, resi- as we said, they're pretty resilient animals. Yeah, and then that brings me on to the last burbot myth, which is <laughs> the uh, the temperature the eggs. Uh, can hatch because again I've read all kinds of things online saying it's got to be zero or it's got to be up to four and I think four's the magic number isn't it or run about there four degrees uh, certainly the literature suggests four yeah. is uh, but um, ours ours varied again we we hatched our, they, they take a long time to hatch just very small egg takes a long time to hatch because the water temperatures are so low um, and I think some of the temperature varied between four and seven See, I mean, um, seven's quite achievable because a lot of people would say our winters aren't cold enough. But I mean, there's few winters where it doesn't get at least, you know, below seven. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So, no, I, I, uh, I think, as far as I'm concerned, we busted the myth that the temperature yeah. was relevant to them. Yeah, they will uh, survive in the temperature regimes present in the UK um, and breed. Yeah, and breed. Yeah, and successfully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no reason. There's no temperature reason for them not setting up a sustainable population. No. Yo, when when I was over in Belgium, Johan was saying that it gets up to if it can get up to seven, there might be a higher mortality rate in the eggs, but some will still hatch yeah, and, and make it. But I suppose that's the whole point why Berbet have so many eggs. They're playing the numbers game. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so it's common with fish, and of course that's nature and biology. Uh, those surviving eggs, if they if they survive at a slightly higher temperature they'll be the more resilient ones to a slightly higher temperature when yeah. their parents go on when, when they grow up and mature and have eggs 
there will be slightly more higher percentage of eggs that can survive that. Better adapted for a UK so you, climate. You you do the adaptation game, and that's a perfect that's a perfect example. They, they may need to adapt a little bit. And we never gave the the historic population a chance to do that adaptation because we were pouring chemicals into the rivers and and chopping them up for navigation and putting barriers of migration because they're, they're they're relatively migratory as well they will move up and down oh, I didn't know in that. the same way as well all fish are migratory yes of course they are yeah uh, so yeah, yeah. chub and barbel are migratory they'll travel quite significant distances to spawning sites uh, and if you chop that that river system up yeah. don't allow them because they're, they're they're not particularly strong swimmers in that uh, you know you just have to look at their body shape they're, they're bottom dwelling fish and they like holes and sitting and sitting, but they're incredibly powerful. Mm. <laughs> well, we used to feed them uh, live fish, the adults at Brooksby, and you drop a few live, live fish into the tanks and you could hear them attacking them. Really? Uh, really <laughs> like piranhas? Aggressive, very aggressive, very powerful fish. Uh, strike predators, amazing things. Yeah, they really are. They're all very beautiful fish. I do, would like to stress they are stunning fish. I, yeah. I really struggled. Um, yeah, they are. No, that's a really good way of describing them because they only had juveniles for me to photograph in Belgium, but it's the adults that really take on that beautiful, yeah. like vivid yellows and like a mosaic of, yes, of patterns. So I wish I'd got some adults. Some, somewhere down the line, I'll have to photograph the adults because they are something else. They're really pretty. Yeah. They are very pretty. And yeah. we'll, we'll end on this last one. So a lot of people in the UK will likely have never heard of a burbot. So why should people care? Why should we bring them back? They're the last vertebrate animal that went extinct in the UK. They're a big part of our history. If you go back through history books, you will find mention of Berber, uh, mention of Berber and how they were used and the role they've played over the centuries. And as such, surely that's worth something. But also fish tend to get ignored. In fact, to a certain extent, some of the authorities seem to uh, almost hate fish because fish are bad for biodiversity or bad for these sorts of things. Fish are part of biodiversity, really important uh, link, often between um, the aquatic environment and the terrestrial environment because they get taken by otters and um, and if nothing else, they're protein. Uh, yeah, um, and and that's getting spread around the catchment. And they're a beautiful fish, they're a fascinating fish, and fish need something to, to highlight them. Um, and if we're going to start in talking about reintroducing wolves and things that went extinct centuries ago, why shouldn't we be talking about reintroducing a fish species that went in living memory? Um, it, the last one was caught in 1969, so there were probably, that wasn't the last fish obviously that would have been a hell of a coincidence so they were probably here in the 70s and slowly went extinct through that time as uh, the, the population tends to dwindle point past the point of no return so if, if it would be uh, it's a bit difficult to prove a negative but i would throw the question back is why not yeah why wouldn't we uh, reintroduce this species which went extinct in living memory it was the last vertebrate animal in the uk to go extinct yeah. uh, what did it say about us that we wouldn't that yeah no i think i think you're right Ian. and obviously they they would have been a key part of the food chain both as a predator and prey and taking any kind of cog out of the wheel 
Absolutely. is going to have an impact and it's sort of I forget the is it shifting baseline syndrome when you just get because something's not been there so long you get used to it yeah. so people are like you're upsetting the natural balance but what we have now is not the natural balance absolutely and, and some of the rivers we're talking about which would potentially be a reintroduction site do have quite a good natural you know they're quite a good natural system um, and yeah restoring a, a, a cog into that system has yeah. got to be uh, got to be a a thing worth trying at least exactly I mean uh, look at our local river river trend it's people uh, it has its issues don't get me wrong mm. but it's full of silver you know it's not despite all the pressures and all the things that are thrown at it in the grand scheme of things it could be a lot worse I'm not saying it's perfect yeah. but you know we have, we have a problem with nature conservation is that you, you always have to you're always looking for funding you're always looking for, for, for people to give you money to do your nature yeah. conservation and therefore you have to talk up in some ways the state of the perilous state of this particular environment doom and gloom um, <laughs> and doom and gloom gets you money yeah. um, but of course you you miss out the fact that uh, we've moved on a lot in the last um, sort of two centuries from a state of the, the Thames being uh, an open sewer with no life in it at all to somewhere, you know, certainly getting towards 200 different species can be found in the Thames through Greater London. And we forget sometimes to celebrate some of the achievements and we need to work on the water companies about how they discharge sewage. I'm not saying that, but we also need to recognise that rivers are uh, amazing places with lots of biodiversity, lots of things happening in them. Uh, and it would be nice to see our burber in there happening as well. <laughs> One can hope, can't they? Absolutely. Well, look, thanks for coming on, Ian. No, it's a pleasure at all. That was Ian Welby. So, essentially, there's no water quality reason or climate reason why we couldn't have burber back. Well, from one fisheries scientist to another, my next guest is Mark Everard. Mark is a keen angler and conservationist, and he literally wrote the book on burbot. There's a link to that in the description. We have a talk about whether there could be any burbot left in the UK, what kind of things they eat, should our fellow anglers be worried about this fish, and also why they went extinct in the first place. Here's our chat. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mark. Uh, hello, Jack. Good to see you again. Uh, good to chat. Yeah, it's it's a shame we're not on a on a riverbank. Although to be honest, today it's looking pretty pants, isn't it? Outside, it's when I when I spoke to Ian Welby, it was pissing it down, and now I'm speaking to you, and it's pissing it down. So it must be a burbot rain related thing. Yeah, I mean we've been crying out for rain right to the end of the end of the season, and we've got it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about. Uh, Burbot. So, a nice, nice, easy question to start with. Uh, why did they go extinct in the UK? Well, it's interesting. <laughs> you talk to a lot of people, including some experts who, who tell you it's climate change, but it, it's actually none of the sort. What people don't realise is how diverse the genetic strains of Burbot are. And a lot of the science that's been done on Burbot is where they're more prolific, which is in North America and Scandinavia where there are a, a much bigger strain of, of fish that lives in ice lakes. And so they come in in winter into the margins and they spawn. So people extrapolate that to our burbot, but our burbots, okay, they're extinct, but the DNA extracted from museum specimens matches the Western European strain, which are much smaller fish and even live in trout stream environments and, and live at far lower latitudes today than they ever did in the UK. So, it's, it's not really climate. 
you have to go back to the life cycle and the life cycle of these small river strains is that they forge up rivers and they spawn in permanent wetlands or semi-permanent wetlands in floodplains and the eggs drift around for a month or two and they're hatched into larvae that drift in the plankton for a month or two and then they turn into little benthic beasts. So without that two, three months of inundation in floodplains, then you, you, you stop recruiting burbot. And of course, what have we expunged completely from the British landscape, particularly since the Second World War, but really since Roman times progressively, it's exactly that habitat where once burbot were recorded as being incredibly profuse. So it's actually its habitat at the end of the day. And I, I get a bit tired of people saying, oh, climate change, there's no point in doing anything. Well, it's not climate change and there's a lot of point in doing stuff. Yeah, I was, I mean, I've said to all the others I've spoke to, I've never known a fish to have so much misinformation as Berbert. There's so many have-a-go experts who will tell you all these yeah. things and it's just all un unabstantiated primarily. I mean, that's why I wrote the, the, the Berbert book, Conservation of the, the Enigmatic a freshwater codfish, because with the Burbot reintroduction that's being led by Jonah Tosney at um, Norfolk Rivers Trust, there was just need, a need for the right information to be put together. I mean, Jonah's not, you know, he, he's sort of on top of it, but to put that out in, in a consolidated form struck me as being really important so that we know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, you, you literally wrote the book on Burbot, so that's why we've uh, we've got you on here. So it's not so much a water quality thing then, or did that play a part as well to a degree? Water quality will have played a part because the Trent was a stronghold, and as as you know, as a, a Nottingham Nottingham boy, the Trent. Well, in the sixties, I mean, the Trent was was dire. I remember you know reading about it as a, as, a, as a youngster, uh, and it once had more power stations along its length than any river, certainly in Europe and I think the world. And its temperature was really high. And this is a cold water species. So that can't have helped, along with all the metal and the other organic pollution. But still, the burbot, if they're going to spawn in the headwaters, are probably, well, they need the right habitat. And to have any chance at all, they, they need that. But, you know, they were lost from rural rivers as, as, as much as urban rivers. Yeah. And that tells you yeah. something. Yeah, Ian was saying as well about, although rivers are not great at the minute, you can't lose sight that they're still a damn sight better than they were in the 60s. They need work. I'm not saying they're brilliant, but they're of sufficient quality that if we did bring Burbot back, they, they'd survive from a water quality perspective in rivers now. I don't believe that Burbot are particularly exacting, actually, when you look at the kind of the, the muddy, laguny habitat that they used to exist in and certainly do in, in continental Europe. Yeah, you know, you're not yeah. talking, you're not talking grayling habitat here mainly. You know, no, no, it's really interesting you say that because I brought this up with Johan and he was saying, yeah, no, they're not actually that they're not actually that delicate. He's saying like brown trout are more delicate. If um, if you've got brown trout in your river, then there's no reason why you couldn't have burbot in your river or even pike to a degree. He said pike are a little bit more delicate. So it's only because, like you say, from habitat loss, but also water quality to a degree that we that we lost them. So there's all these other kind of factors that come into play and um, what what do they eat because a lot of people might look at them and think what what do they munch on well i mean they're they're, they're piscivorous and they're carnivorous in the widest sense i mean one of the things that, that really interested me is can you would the reintroduction help us address the signal crayfish invasion and in fact there is some research on the continent that where 
in fact, particularly in America with signal crayfish, where the where the burbot numbers are high, the signal crayfish numbers are low, and, and conversely. And certainly in Germany, the oh what's that goby that's um that's like a freshwater goby, isn't it? Is it a Caspian goby yeah. or something like that? I, I off the top of my head I can't remember, but it's 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 a round goby, the round goby. Yeah. Um it's become really invasive, but where the burbots have taken off, they seem to munch them because the, the gobies like that sort of hiding habitat, the burbot like. And burbot are quite sort of lazy, really. So if something goes munching into its den, it's going to snack on it. You know, getting our native fauna back in that sense could help us deal with some of our invasive species problems. But, I mean, there is a sort of a certain fear that always is, oh, they're piscivorous, therefore they'll eat everything. Well, I don't think they're ever going to be that profuse, to be quite honest. And, you know, we can live with herons and egrets and kingfishers and uh, and chub and, and perch and trout all of which munch fish so adding one more to the mix is not probably going to be problematic at all well i was it's interesting you brought this up because you've read my mind so obviously we're both anglers we love our fishing we love fishing for lots of different things and it is one thing that i've heard from a few anglers that are there any concerns about them being predatory but like you've just explained all fish eat each other and mix around with each other and if you think about in the in the grand scheme of things, burbot have only not been in the UK for what, 50, 60 years. And prior to that, since the last ice age, burbot would have coexisted with, with roach, with trout, with pike, with all those other things. And they continue to coexist with them in Europe. So they all kind of co-evolved and lived together. So I can't see burbot coming into our rivers and wiping them out and only having these Burbot in rivers, I think that would be unrealistic. I think it's completely unrealistic. <laughs> it doesn't stop people believing it, but it is unrealistic. <laughs> no, that's the that's the day and age we live in, unfortunately. But you would think yeah. anglers uh, would get excited because how often do you get a new species of fish, or in this case, an old one, I suppose, introduced into lakes and rivers that we can fish for? It just doesn't happen generally, not legally anyway. So you'd think anglers, oh, this is a, you know, an interesting fish that you can lure fish for, you can bait fish for, and potentially catch this weird-looking cod thing in a river. Surely that's exciting to anglers. I mean, certainly to, to older anglers like me, because the burbot went extinct in my lifetime. And, you know, as a, as a scientist and conservationist, it's always bothered me that we've let it go, you know, under our watch. So welcoming it back, I think it's important because it belongs here, but also because it's also an indicator that we've got the river systems working again, that we've butchered, frankly. You know, none of our rivers look anything like a natural river. I mean, none of them do. Uh, we constrain the channels, we drain the landscape. Naturally, a river would be a, a channel with a wetland hinterlands and they support the life stages of many, many fish species, as well as, you know, water voles and, and all our native fauna and flora. But we've turned them into these regimented tubes and, and de destroyed a lot of the habitat. I mean, imagine how rich our fish fauna would be if yeah. we had a, a truly living river corridor. And we've sort of not got any experimental places where we can say, well, it would be like that because we've, we've knackered them all. Yeah. 
rather rather glumly. And this kind of brings me on to the the last point, which I know there's some hopeful people, including uh, Chris Yates, who often goes on about this. But do you think there still could be any out there? Is there any chance or dream that we might have a, a lone burbot swimming around the cam or the the Yorkshire Derwin? What do you think? Well, I, I, I like Chris, he's a friend, <laughs> and he's a dreamer and a romantic. But I do trust the EDNA surveys that have been completed and the fact that no survey and lots and lots of surveys have done since the la- 1969, the last reported sighting or you know confirmed um, case. Just no. Um, <laughs> all of the sightings that I've investigated since have either been spoofs or probably missed identifications. And certainly some of them, the Environment Agency followed up with a survey and there's been absolutely no evidence. It's a bit like the Loch Ness Monster. You know, could one monster exist in isolation? You know, without a viable population, it's vanishingly unlikely. Well, I um, I actually had the chap who supposedly seen one on the Eden. I don't know if you know that sighting. And he was a bit yeah. miffed that I kept saying they were extinct. And I just kind of politely pointed out that they were never in the Eden. Or as far as I'm aware, they weren't in that catchment. So what are the chances of him discovering one in 2010 when there'd never been any records of seeing one? And we kind of left the conversation at that. Yeah, I, I think that that is probably misidentification. And weirdly, in the same year in 2010, I think one was potentially seen in on the cam. I don't know if you heard yes, about it. Yes, it was. So, or the, the ooze, wasn't it? Was it the ooze? Okay. And that was, ooze, yeah. and that was by a French angler who claims to have, you know, have caught them and seen them, and there were two of them around him and all the rest of it. But... I don't know. I, I'm sure something would have turned up that yeah. wasn't just a, you know, an unsubstantiated sighting, as a reported sighting. I mean, around about 2010, I, I've covered this in the book. A friend of mine on the Hampshire Avon, also a place where Burbot never existed, phoned me up. I think it was New Year's Day or something. It's after Christmas anyway, and said, "You never guess what I saw." And he was really excited and gone and gone. And he was describing it. He was saying, "This, this, this fish, this dark fish with mottling was in the edge." okay sounds like a kelp to me and I kind of walked up to it and yeah it was it was sort of mottling pattern and, and fairly lethargic oh yeah yeah sounds like a kelp and as I walked up it sort of drifted lethargically and vanished in the weed sounds like a kelp he said yeah it was a burbot <laughs> <laughs> you know oh really um, I'm not going to mention any names here uh, in case he <laughs> listens to this podcast but um well done, you spotted a kelp, <laughs> you know, because they do. They're elongated fish and they're lethargic and they get fungal covered and they're around in the edges when a burbot would be spawning and all the rest of it. And I've seen loads of kelps and I, I kind of get the feeling that that, well, I'm certainly certain that that was a Hampshire Raven sighting and probably on the Eden, a noted salmonid river. Probably a something kelp of well. that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the optimism. I think that's brilliant. I think that's good to have it. But um isn't it they have something like over a million eggs so it wouldn't just be one or two burbot there'd, there'd be a few about wouldn't there so and the fact that no environment agency surveys or no edna surveys in the last 50 years have fa- or no anglers even caught one i think it's pretty safe to assume they're not here anymore yeah it's about three million eggs for for smallish fish <laughs> they're oh, incredibly oh, pretty. yeah oh, yeah wow i, mean, I didn't notice that many wow yeah, I mean, they're, they're in the hake family, which is part of the gaddy form, the cod-like fishes, which, and they're the only freshwater member, and, and they have this huge sort of fecundity-type um, life strategy where, where virtually everything dies, and every now and again something survives. 
but uh, without the right habitat, I'm afraid nothing survives. You know, it's no. as simple, simple as really. That's it, mate. Well, look, thanks for chatting, Burbit, as always. It's always good to clear up a few of those points about them. Terrific. Take care. That was Mark Everard. Always good to have a waffle with Mark. He's good value for money. And who knows, one day we might be fishing in Norfolk or the Trent, casting out a bait, ledged, and the quiver tip could go and we could reel in a burbot. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe one day. My next and final guest is Jonah Tosney from the Norfolk Rivers Trust. He's the technical director there and is currently leading the charge to reintroduce burbot back into Britain. Burbot were found in Norfolk and the River Wissey in North Norfolk has been identified as one of the most suitable places in the UK to start. I talked to Jonah about the plan to reintroduce them to Norfolk, why Norfolk is the best place currently, and delve into why we need Burbot back in our river systems. Here's our chat. Hello Jonah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks Jack. Yeah, you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, buddy. I think before we start, do you just want to say who you are, who you work for, and kind of the relevance of Burbot to you? So I'm, I'm Jonah. I'm the technical director at Norfolk Rivers Trust. Been here nearly 10 years. Probably for nine of those years, we've been talking about bringing Burbot back to Norfolk, mostly with Carl Sayer from UCL in the early days. He, he was the one who, who kind of introduced it to us. And we've been working towards it for, uh, yeah, for, for nine years on and off, almost entirely unfunded. And it's been slow going, especially the first few years. We, we had a, a lot of obstacles and nobody was really interested in species reintroductions. But in the last probably three years, that's that's really changed. And there is a lot of interest and support. And it's really it's really picked up pace and it's, it's getting really quite hopeful now. Certainly like with beavers. I mean, beavers are kind of the star species, aren't they? But yeah, a lot of kind of re- rewilding, whatever you want to call it, is is gaining kind of more public interest, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. The, the beavers have helped massively, I think. Ten years ago, very few people would have believed that you even could reintroduce beavers to Britain. So the same with things like sea eagles and, and butterflies and things. So now it's something people know we can do and it's something people know we should do. And I think because the burbot has been there until so so recently, then it's kind of an obvious one to, to go for, I think. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I guess what a lot of people want to know is is what's the plan? <laughs> put it put it simply, what's the plan? The so the, the plan is we're, we're we're getting close, Jack. We've spent the last few years talking to quite a few academic partners about the feasibility of, of actually doing it. Um, in particular, a guy called Tom Worthington, who did his did his PhD on on the feasibility of burbot reintroduction. Talking to people like Rewilding Britain, Natural England, the Environment Agency. And at first, trying to trying to build some sort of consensus that, that it's something people people thought was possible and that we should do. We're never going to know whether it'll be successful or not until we actually put fish in the river. Yeah. And there's always going to be some unanswered questions, but we, we think we're as certain as we can be. So the plan is now to spend the, the next couple of years trying to make the habitat on the River Wissy. So the River Wissy is the, the target river for us. Um, that's the one that's been identified as having the best burbot habitat and most likely to succeed. We're planning to spend the next two years improving the habitat on the Wissy, just making it really messy and complex and letting it flood freely and, and do all the things that burbot want and all fish species want, actually. And during that time, we're going to be working towards getting the consents to do it. So we need consent from Natural England, the Environment Agency, CFAST, Fishing Club, the landowner and all these things. 
So at, at the same time as improving the habitat, we're going to be working towards actually importing the fish. The plan at the moment is that there's a there's a brilliant hatchery in Belgium that I know you've visited recently. Yeah, their fish are, are very closely genetically related to the museum samples from Britain. That's something else that Tom Worthington has shown, and they've been enormously helpful, telling us uh, helping us with things like how do we import them, what are the rearing conditions for burbot, what life stage do you release them at, all, all that stuff. That they've been fantastically helpful. So that's the ambition to to bring fish over and get them in the river in in maybe two or three years time. I think after we've really made the most of the habitat that we, that we possibly can to give them the best chance. And the feasibility studies have, have been looking, from what I understand, they all seem very positive. Like there's not been any massive roadblocks, has there? That it should work. <laughs> I say tentatively, but there's no there's no alarm alarms bells ringing at the moment. Yeah. So nothing's been shown that that's going to prevent them from from being a success because it's it's because the environment's so complicated and there's so many different factors we can't absolutely say so there's there's a whole host of of things to look at like water temperature water quality um levels of different pollutants how far the fish can migrate up and down the river and in and out of the river all this stuff all these different factors all of them look possible it might be there's a there's a combination of those that doesn't work or a fact that we've missed and we're, we're doing our absolute best to nail that down but um everything's everything's looking positive and possible yeah and again we're, we're not going to know until we actually put fish in the river there's no conclusive answer until somebody tries it no no of course and i mean that's that's good to know isn't it and i was going to ask why the whiskey and when but you've sort of answered all that already which is uh, <laughs> which is fantastic so uh, you know, if, if all being well, in the next two to three years, we could very well have Burbot back in Britain. I hope so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, certainly, I do too. And I guess the million-dollar question is, why? Why should we care? Why should why should people care about the Burbot? Why bring it back? Oh, so, so many reasons, Jack. <laughs> if, if trout or salmon had disappeared entirely, people would be absolutely rushing at this, even roach or dace or something that, that's a bit more yeah. well-known. Yeah, they so I, I think f- for that reason alone, it, it's something that's that's disappeared from our river so recently. The last one was caught in 1969, I think. So there's plenty of people alive who can remember catching bird. But for, for me, it's, it's just part of the ecosystem. It's something that should be there. Like a, a, a river is, wouldn't be a functioning ecosystem without trout or without kingfishers or without otters or without, without any of its species. And for me, it's one of those building blocks that we need to put back. It's an attractive thing for anglers, hopefully. There's a, there's a little bit of concern that, that Berber eat other fish, which they absolutely do. But so do all fish. Every, everything eats everything in there. It's like this warfare. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's part of the ecosystem and, and something that should be there. And in its own little way, will help make our rivers healthier. No, definitely. And certainly, I guess if anglers are concerned, I'm going to talk about this to Mark as well, but they coexist with all of our fish on the continent. So it's not like they're not, they can't do it. And yeah, like you say, they're just one piece of the jigsaw for everything else. It's not like they're going to come in rivers and, and eat everything, N- nothing like that. So no. I, it's almost like a moral obligation to bring, it was our fault we lost them or we believe it's our fault we lost them. So it's almost fitting that we should bring them back. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And ev- everything in there has has co-evolved with Burbot. You know, they've, they, they were there from the ice age until 30 or 40 years ago. 
as were the trout, as were the dace and, and any other species that, that, you, that you want to name. They all lived together quite happily until humans really started destroying rivers in the last half century. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they should just be part of the ecosystem. They, they will eat a lot of things. They'll eat young eels, they'll eat young trout, they'll eat each other, they'll eat young roach and dace. But equally, trout will eat berber, eels will eat berber, herons will eat berber. It's just part of the ecosystem. So one of, um, one of the I, things, don't, I don't see any problems there. No, no, that, that's just nature, isn't it? And one of the things Johan was saying they found in the continent is they're really good at eating... <laughs> is that your, uh, is that your Sorry, dog? Yeah, that's the dogs, yeah. No, there's been plenty of dogs on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but they said one, one of the great things with berbers, they seem to target a lot of the invasive species. So they found where Berbet are present in the continent, numbers of topmouth gudgeon, freshwater blenny and signal crayfish, which is relevant for the UK, will go down because they seem to hammer those. So there is a, there, you know, if people are a bit unsure, that's one good reason, certainly, because they eat invasives. I would really hope so. They yeah. certainly will eat crayfish and there are signals in the catchment. Um, we think the white clods, unfortunately, were, were lost to plague probably 12 years ago, something like that now. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly signals there. We've seen in, in some of these kind of Fenlandy type rivers as well, like the lower end of the river Nara in particular, where there are big predator fish, the, the signals seem to be struggling to really expand the populations and thrive. So sorry, that's the dog again. So yeah, I, I hope that I hope they'll have those kind of positive impacts here. Yeah, I think so. Well, look, keep up the good work, Jonah. I think it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing and, and fingers crossed we can get this fish back. Yeah, I really hope so, Jack. Um, we're trying really hard now and we've got a lot of support. So I think probably for the first time for us, it, it's looking realistic now, yeah. And presumably if people want to find out more, just go to the Norfolk Rivers Trust website. Yes, um, we, we did an a online Burbot event, um, a webinar, and you can find that on there. That's actually got Tom Worthington talking all about the science of it. So that's really useful. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of other stuff from us there as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on, buddy. That's all right, Jack. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That was Jonah Tosney from the Norfolk Rivers Trust. In a couple of years, Burbot could very well be back after half a century into the east of England. Wouldn't that be something? So to summarise up all the points, the UK climate is absolutely within the parameters for them both to survive in the summer and to spawn in the winter. They don't need ice to spawn. While we should always monitor water quality, Berber are not particularly sensitive to it, and although rivers need some work, they're a lot better than the 60s and could support Berber right now. Berber are predators, yes. Will they eat fish? Of course they will. Will other fish eat them? Yes, they will. Berber have co-evolved with all of Britain's fish since the last ice age, and they currently live with all of those species in Europe right now. So adding burbot to the mix in our British rivers is not going to upset the ecosystem. And in terms of there being a lone burbot hanging on in our British rivers, while I'd love to be proven wrong, I think we have to be realistic here and accept that there are no burbot left in Britain. But with the hard work of the individuals that I've spoken to in this podcast, there may very well be in the near future. Burbot are part of our natural heritage. They've been here since the last ice age. Not only do they get rid of non-native species, but they're a missing cog in the larger wheel of our freshwater ecosystems. And surely it should be our obligation to return this fish that was lost within living memory. 
Well that's enough of me waffling about Burbot. If you want to check out the video that's on YouTube, there's a link in the description to that, and you can watch a smaller version of this with some pretty pictures. There's also a link to buymeacoffee.com where you can help support the podcast by chucking a couple of pennies at me. Mark Everard's book is also available if you want to learn a little bit more about Burbot. I'm planning to come back full-time in November, but in between then I'll be dropping the odd podcast like this, and also I've still got takeovers coming out as and when. Hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Chat Perks, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.